My guest today, Dr. Joachim Frank, is a German-American biophysicist at Columbia University and a Nobel laureate. He is regarded as the founder of single-particle cryo-electron microscopy. That's a technique which today allows us to see biomolecules with the resolution of an atom. Um, he shared the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 2017 for his contribution in developing single-particle cryo-electron microscopy. His work at places like uh, University of Freiburg, München, TU München, Max Planck Society, JPL, Caltech, Cornell University, UC Berkeley, University of Cambridge, New York State University, and Columbia University. He has won a bunch of other awards and prizes throughout his long career. Dr. Joachim Frank is also a writer, photographer, and the father. He is a truly inspiring character, and it was a lot of fun to talk to him in English and in German. Maybe uh, let's talk about how your inventions have partially uh, contributed to uh, yeah, combating pandemics. Yeah, um, it's very interesting. Um, 2012, uh, I told you, was uh, a great invention, uh, the an electronic camera was um, uh, came on on the market that uh, is able to record single electrons and so my technique all of a sudden became ripe for um, atomic resolution so from since 2012 uh, there have been many high resolution structures and coincidentally this was really also a time when a large <clears throat> pandemics uh, came up. Uh, I'm talking about uh, MERS uh, and uh, Zika, Dengue, Dengue Ebola, um, and then finally uh, the COVID. Corona, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> right. Um, so uh, I just wanted to emphasize that um, in all these cases, uh, cryo-EM, single-particle cryo-EM, uh, has made uh, very decisive contributions to the development of drugs, uh, development of vaccines, uh, and development of uh, effective antibodies. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, can and, you uh, specify how exactly? So, basically, by looking at the atomic resolution of, of the <clears throat> virus itself, you can uh, construct proteins and antibodies that directly combat the virus. <clears throat> Is that correct? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> you can, uh, uh, for instance, you can see uh, where antibodies bind. You can have uh, viruses uh, that are uh, in incubated with uh, antibodies, you can image them, and then you can see exactly where antibodies bind. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can get an idea of the where, where, where are the effective epitopes, uh, the, the places that are recognized by antibodies, mm -hmm. and how to, how to uh, develop antibodies that are more effective in a particular case. Now, it, it's very interesting what happened in the case of the uh, COVID-19. <clears throat> uh, you have heard about the mRNA um, yeah. viruses, uh, mRNA uh, vaccination. 
this is a completely new technology. And um, what is what is being done is uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the, the particular structure which uh, constitutes the line of attack of the virus, the spike protein, you've heard of that, uh, can simply be created uh, synthetically. And so one can expose the body to this spike protein, which of course is not infective because it it doesn't have the virus behind it. Uh, So uh, using, using mRNA, uh, messenger RNA, uh, you can uh, make the host, namely us, make this spike protein, which is a totally, uh, totally hostile protein, which is immediately recognized by the body as something foreign, exactly. and it makes uh, and it makes antibodies against it. Now, <clears throat> here. Um, CryEM has been instrumental in making this technique effective because the spike protein as such has has a has a part that is very flexible and <clears throat> only in a particular position uh, of, of, of that flexible domain uh, can it can it actually be recognized uh, by an antibody or uh, in such in such a position, it is it is essentially recognizable as as something that could possibly invade the the, the body. <clears throat> now, uh, people have developed a, a particular version of this, which doesn't have this flexibility, but instead it is it is fixed in one position in which it is always recognized. Okay. Uh, and so cryem has been used to ensure that we have uh, the spike protein, the synthetic spike protein fixed in the, in this position. Okay, so so without the the cryo ER, they would have cryo been in M, the dark. Yeah. So cryo EM, they would have been in the dark uh, about trying to uh, put together a protein that that may or may not be. So, so basically, um, where cryo-EM uh, was crucial is to look at the actual uh, product of the research and, and confirm, okay, that is our spike protein? Yeah, that's that's the spike protein that we want, that has the, has the features that we want, okay? Uh, and, uh, so I, I understand that it's, um, it's very crucial to be able to see it. Um, from what I know, uh, it's, uh, it usually is just enough to have our antibodies recognize the protein so we do not necessarily have to see it with our eyes uh, so to say it just it is usually enough to just have it recognized by our antibodies so um yeah. why was it so uh, uh uh crucial that that we could actually see it well <clears throat> you um you just make sure that the ideas uh that you have put into this research actually work you know mm-hmm. So you, you can verify can, basically that, you can that verify. what you wanted to make yes. is what you made. Right. And and in this case, uh, uh, <clears throat> a mutation was used. A mutation that is at a crucial place that makes sure that a certain domain 
stays in a fixed position rather than being flexible and all over the place. Okay, so, so what you Welcome mean is that show. actually Thanks in the mRNA here. vaccine, uh, you do not get the, the original spike protein. Uh, the spike protein from, from the virus was kind of like engineered in a way that it's now fixed and it's easier for the body to, to build antibodies against it, right? The mRNA contains instructions on how to make this spike protein. <clears throat> and uh, so uh, the engineering of the of this mRNA was a major feat uh, <clears throat> of, of Never uh, drug, seen before in, in vaccination, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. the only time they, they use that a bit maybe is in, in to uh, combat cancer, if I'm not mistaken. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Not not with mRNA. Uh -huh. That's where I heard was first uh, deployed. Oh, okay. Um, and so, um, okay. Um, and so and then and then another another way of of how our cryem is used is is to is to see uh, where exactly antibodies bind. <clears throat> so you can see. Um, well, the two molecules coming together and, and actually clicking, uh, so to say, basically, right? Right. Uh, what's the time resolution of cryo-EM? The time resolution? Uh, <clears throat> you can, uh, the, the normal kind of cryo-EM, uh, it takes at least a few seconds to, to get it all done. So it's not like so, a movie? It's not like a... No, it's not film. like a movie. Now, I happened to work in time-resolved cryo-EM. And there, one can really work in milliseconds. <clears throat> and the way that works is uh, there's a microfluidic chip. And uh, the two components that you want to react and follow the reaction are put into uh, the two input channels. And then you can stop the reaction in the microfluidic chip at any time. Uh, and then spray the product onto onto the grid. Uh, so you can get time resolutions of something like 20 milliseconds, 50 milliseconds or so. That's uh, that's basically what, what the movie is, right? It's it's about yeah, 30, 40 milliseconds. Yeah, uh, right. Mm -hmm. Wow, exactly. Um, and um, so, so what, one thing I want to ask is also how this is a team effort. So, so uh, cryoEM itself, and I think the entire project of cryoEM today would not be possible with only one person. Could you confirm that? And could you say something about like how many people are needed to to develop something like that? Or oh, to develop it. <clears throat> it? If we talk about the development, uh, that has gone on over decades now, and has involved many groups, many teams uh, that worked on. The, the various parts of the technology, like how to prepare a sample, uh, the development of the instrument itself, and then the data processing. So there, there were specialists that worked on all the different um, uh, aspects of Thousands it. of people now, probably, right? <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> yeah, probably hundreds. Hundreds, maybe maybe a couple of thousand. Meanwhile, <clears throat> but if you now uh, want to do an experiment, then you have so many tools already available. So it is it, it is possible for a single person uh, to do essentially everything. 
uh, and uh, obviously you need uh, with these um, very high uh, top instruments, you need staff that operate them. Uh, so it's uh, it, it's seldom that a researcher goes to the microscope and performs the experiment. He, rather, he gives he gives staff um, the samples, and then they make sure that um, that everything goes all right. That's what the post postdocs and the PhD students do, basically, right? No, uh, it, it's staff. Uh, <clears throat> who, uh, uh, the they technicians, are really, you mean? Okay. Yeah, they are right. They manage the entire <clears throat> instrument. <clears throat> it is. It is not very good to to open uh, such an expensive instrument to uh, to essentially everybody. Mm. Uh, then you will have so much downtime that the whole thing, uh, you know, doesn't work. Yeah, if your instrument costs millions, then it's easy yes. to pay someone exactly. 50k right. a year or something to to run it. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, those are beautiful machines indeed. Okay, yeah. well, uh, thank you for saving lives because basically what you're saying is that, like indirectly through developing this uh, technique, the cryo EM, it's it has now become like easier and faster to develop develop vaccines against novel pandemics, which ultimately saves hundreds of thousands of lives. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. helps me personally go out and have a beer in the pub, finally, which I'm so looking forward to. I hope so. I hope so. But uh, right now, it doesn't It doesn't look like it, right? It's, uh, no, I have to drink my beers wave. at home. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. You're arguably the person in the world who can answer this question the best. What is cryo-electron microscope? Uh, <clears throat> okay. It's an... Um... It's an electron microscope that um, is specially equipped to image a frozen specimen. Okay. Okay. So okay. it leads to the question: What is an electron microscope? Uh, obviously, an electron microscope works with electrons instead of light. Uh, it doesn't have glass lenses; it has magnetic lenses, and the electrons are. Uh, <clears throat> produced somewhere accelerated to high uh, velocities um, by an anode and cathode and anode, and then they fly freely through vacuum. It's a microscope that uses electrons instead of light. Um, like, how does it look? Like, is it, is it big? Is it small? Um... It's very big. It's very big. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the reason why it's big is that uh, it has it has very heavy uh, machinery in, in inside the magnetic lenses are uh, <clears throat> involve um, uh, you know spools um, windings of, of copper uh, and and they have obviously um, iron uh, so they're pretty heavy have you ever lifted one have you ever lifted one? No, you cannot lift it. Uh, you, you can only lift it with a crane. Uh, it, it is it, it is uh, pretty much the size of the room or even higher. All right. Okay? So it's not, not your high school microscope that you can uh, bring in your backpack. Um, and I assume they're also super expensive. Yes, they're super expensive. And the, <clears throat> the high-end machines right now, uh, they are being um, 
manufactured by Thermo Fisher, and they are something like in the order of five and a half, five and a half million dollars. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but you need the kind of equipment to make major breakthroughs and uh, and and to make science that's actually gonna matter. Um, so, but but to to like uh, come come back a bit and just explain to somebody who has never heard of an electron microscope. So, like, what do you use it for? You use it to to check out very small stuff. And why is it important? Like, like, why is it important that you're looking at very small stuff? Yeah, first of all, um, <clears throat> a, the difference between light microscope and electron microscope is that with electron microscope, you, you can look at very, very tiny things. And light, light microscope is limited essentially to the wavelength of the light. So and the wavelength is in the order of uh, uh, 400 nanometers. Uh, the wavelength and the uh, <clears throat> molecules are in the order of uh, maybe uh, 50 uh, 50 nanometers okay they are so small that uh, they cannot be seen by the light microscope now why why do we have to look at tiny uh, tiny objects well the tiny objects um, that we are interested in in uh, biology are the molecules. Uh, molecules are sort of the unity of life. Uh, the interactions between molecules, they sort of carry on life functions in the cell. So, so by looking at that very small stuff, very small biological molecules, we can basically figure out life itself? Yes. The life processes uh, are constituted by interactions between molecules. That's that's what life is about, and and not just in our body, but everywhere in the in the world, all organisms, including bacteria, yeast, plants, animals, all are essentially constructed in this from the same principle. Or down at on the molecular level, we are very similar to things like bacteria and so forth. And that similarity is um, is mirrored by the ribosome, right? So, like every single living thing on on Earth has a ribosome, and the ribosome is, is at the core of its biological function. Um, and you have been studying the ribosome, this this very key molecule, arguably the most important biomolecule ever. Um, what have you found out about the ribosome? I first have to say that not all living things have ribosomes. Viruses don't have ribosomes. Well, are they living? Take it one. Yeah. Okay. That's a good question. Are they living? They're sort of, uh, sort of uh, parasites at the at the edge of of, of life. Uh, think uh, essentially. So, what what did you find out about ribosomes? Maybe just in two three words, what is a ribosome? Well, the ribosome. Uh, is a is a translation machinery. So <clears throat> uh, there are certain molecules that are highly organized, and one calls them molecular machines. They're really sort of uh, you can think of them as as uh, machines that that have a certain work cycle. They go around. They have a beginning and an end, and so forth. Okay. So uh, one of those machines is is the ribosome, and it's very complex. And what it does is it, it translates the genetic information into protein. So there are two languages in, in 
all organisms, two languages. One language is, 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 is the, the genetic code. The other language is the sequence of amino acids. These are completely different languages. One has to be translated into the yeah. other. So basically, and that's being done by the ribosome. So the ribosome is basically an interpreter, right? Yeah, it 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 um, it, it understands the genetic code, and then manufactures a protein uh, by putting amino acids together. And and uh, this these languages are, are almost universal in, in the world. You're talking about the ribosome and how it's the interpreter. And it's, also, it's not just interpreting, it's also building our entire bodies. Well, it, 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 in, it, it doesn't just interpret, it actually builds uh, the, the uh, proteins, okay? And it builds the proteins according to genetic ins instructions. And the proteins themselves are the, it's the stuff. The, these are the molecules that we have in our cells. And they are the ones that interact with one another and essentially constitute life functions. Okay, so um, one thing I'm curious about. So uh, the way I understand, you have received the Nobel Prize because you have made progresses in developing this tool that helps us understand ribosomes better. So you have basically made contributions to developing this very specific microscope that helps us better understand the ribosome. Is that correct? Well, it doesn't just help us understand the ribosome. It helps us understand all molecules. I, I use the ribosome only as a, as a demo, mm -hmm. uh, only, only to develop the tool. And in the, so I'm, I'm a physicist, okay? So I entered the entire field without knowing anything about biology. And then I developed this, uh, I had this obsession of, of developing this, this kind of um, tool uh, to look at individual molecules rather than crystalline micro uh, molecules. Exactly. So, exactly. And I needed to have some kind of a demo, uh, a molecule with which I could uh, show that the whole thing worked so, and and so, the ribosome came along as a very convenient one because it was large uh, that was good it was stable which means that there were not too many changes between different ones uh, and it had high contrast because it has a, a, a the so-called rna that has a high phosphorus content uh, okay. Okay. okay so these three and then there's a fourth uh, advantage of getting the ribosome, almost nobody knew anything about the ribosome, about the structure of the ribosome. So, which means that, that if my method was going to work, then it would be a very huge progress. Okay. And a huge progress. So, so, I, so huge the ribosome served this whole purpose. And then in the end, the tool became available for thousands and thousands of, of other mole molecules as well and um, the kind of the breakthrough or the one insight that led to basically developing this kind of technique that sees down to the resolution of an atom i mean you cannot get a better resolution than one atom uh was and correct me if i'm wrong uh, this um insight about programming so you were at the very beginning in the 70s 
like doing computer stuff to try to get the resolution better. So it was not that you you made the machine better. You you made you basically built the brain of the machine that allow you to see way better than people could see with, with the same machine before. Is that correct? No, it's 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 even before that. It, it has something to do with with the concept. <clears throat> there was a, a right at the beginning um, when electron microscope were first used for looking at molecules, people were in some kind of a mindset which was very rigid. They thought, uh, and that's with the equivalence with X-ray crystallography, they thought structure only makes sense if you, if you have crystal structure, okay? There's no sense to even speak about structure if, it, if it's not, if the molecules are not in, in, a, in a very regular arrangement, okay? Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Did, did you hear that? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. So, so people people were just looking at uh, <clears throat> at arrangements that were highly ordered, helical structures or icosahedral structures like viruses, or uh, or at planar uh, stru structures, but but always highly ordered, and <clears throat> and you you can you can get structure out of this. Uh, by making use of very fancy mathematical transformations with, with Fourier transforms, but it only works if the crystals are very, very highly, highly ordered, and not if they are sort of ordered. Okay, and most most crystals are not ideal, and and so that imposed a restriction, and so the breakthrough was conceptual to say. Hey, why do we need crystals? What's so special about crystals? Can't we just use single particles, you know, that are not clocked together? Yeah. So, in in the case of in the case of crystal, you have to tilt them uh, in 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 different ways in order to get all the um, uh, view information. Uh, in the case of of molecules that are in solution. They are already tilted. They are tilted themselves. They are all in random order, and and uh, they are, they're randomly oriented. And you have thousands and millions of them. Okay, so uh, it it also means that when you uh, we are worried about radiation damage, uh, molecules are burning up, and so you cannot uh, expose molecules over and over again exactly. to the same beam. Exactly. And so, so but, if you instead so, spread but, it out over many, many copies of, of identical molecules, then, uh, then you, have, you have the problem solved. You have two problems, three problems solved, all at the same time by going to um, a separate molecule. And so this concept, okay, was the crucial thing. And then you have to worry about programs. You have to say, you know, what do we? What do I have to do in order to make it all work? Because there were no programs for this. Okay, so I had to make myself a workbench of programs. You know, many, many hundreds of programs that all work together in a modular way, so that I had something, something like a baukasten uh, to put to put blocks together.
Exactly. So uh, and there must have been a, a hard part too, because uh, there, there was no Google back then to, to download code. There was no uh, forums to check how to do that. You had to learn everything from, from textbooks and just trial and error. Coding in the 70s. There were hardly any textbooks uh, about this, really, <laughs> either. Uh, but uh, I, had, I had one uh, great advantage. I was... Um, as a postdoc for one year, almost one year, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory uh, in, in uh, at Caltech right? in, California, right? in California, and that was in 1971. Uh, and um, at the time, they had the most advanced image processing in the world. Uh, they had the, the kind of equipment, um, and they did. Um, already image processing uh, of signals that came from space probes that were sent up. So it was, an, it was a great environment. Your insight was uh, image processing. You, you took a lot of pictures or pictures of uh, the same molecule, but in different positions. And that's, that's how you applied your knowledge from, from Jet Propulsion Laboratory to your problem. In, uh, no, 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 I, did, I, didn't, I didn't apply that knowledge. I, I, I simply I was in an, in an environment where they had a modular image processing system and I used I used the infrastructure to dock my programs uh, so that it became convenient to work with them right. you know so I had right. I had my own modules I plugged them in and I could take advantage of the entire uh, <clears throat> programming infrastructure there. And, um, and that led to the actual birth of uh, what we call today cryo-electron microscopy. Is that correct? No, that's not correct either, because all my, all my work, <laughs> all my work uh, was really done with samples that were prepared in a very poor way. There was, there was no cryo-EM. There, there were no cryo-methods available. At the time, the, the molecules were prepared by so-called negative staining. So that is done by putting a little heavy metal salt into the solution and then air drying the molecules on the grid. And when you do this, then a little, a little puddle of stain forms around each molecule. Okay. And so what you, you see you see the molecule only because you don't see it, okay? You see, you see only the exclusion of stain uh, and not the molecule itself. So, so it's, a, it's a very poor method of, of, getting, of getting information, three-dimensional information. <clears throat> and uh, part of the problem is that uh, uh, <clears throat> this method leads to partial, partial collapse uh, of, the, of the molecule. <clears throat> But anyway, so, so I, had, I had this method uh, to work with in order to develop my entire approach. And then when the cryo methods came along, I, I eagerly you know, uh, used my programs on, on these new kind of samples. But the, but the entire sort of the conceptual infrastructure and the, the math uh, and the computation was already there to do that. All right.
So it was a combination of of engineering and the insight. Uh, but but um, but you, you were the person to bring the insight along to say, okay, well, uh, we do not need these crystallized molecules. We can actually do that with uh, with just uh, random molecules, uh, randomly aligned. Yeah. And um, and and that that's what what allowed you to uh, to see molecules in three D. You did not see them at the atomic level from the beginning that took you another 30 years, right? Yeah, it, it took a very long time because the um, your computers were not were not very big. Um, the uh, microscopes were not were not optimized. Uh, <clears throat> uh, they had an, you know, uh, they, they didn't have very good illumination system. Uh, they were not powerful enough and so forth. All this uh, was a development. And uh, when cryo methods came along, then electron microscopes uh, became specialized. Uh, but the manufacturers always had to had, had to take a gamble because they didn't know how the how the field would would develop. Uh, but you know, these single particle kind of methods, there was not the only ones that was um, looked at with electron microscopes. Uh, because there were all these people that still looked at uh, crystalline uh, uh, structures, uh, <clears throat> but um, so 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 the single particle methods were, was not the only motivation for manufacturers mm -hmm. for a very long time. Uh, talking about which, um, have you ever considered working for the electron microscope manufacturers, or was it clear for you that that you were going to stay in academia? Yeah, yeah, I I, I couldn't. I couldn't th think myself into an industrial environment. I, I really, it, it, it's part part of it is is only that I'm thinking, I'm 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 used to doing my own thinking. Okay, I work very well in teams, but I need to concentrate. I need to figure out my own solutions. Well, so we described the ribosome and why it's important. And so in the early two thousands, uh, it first became possible to actually see. Um, ribosome for example uh, down to the atomic level that that was um, not you, yeah that that didn't that didn't uh, become available until the um very fancy cameras came came along that was the big, big bottleneck that uh, persisted until 2012 and has that particular discovery or has other discoveries, I'm sure there was like a lot of those that led to something tangible i think uh, listeners might want to hear about a, a concrete story where maybe um, a medicine was developed. Like by understanding um, uh, the ribosome of a bacterium, for example, you could target that ribosome or target that part of the uh, bacterium to, to better kill it. So um, do you know of any, any such like concrete examples where um, something was discovered with this very precise electron microscope and it led to um, a drug, for example? Uh, for the ribosomes, um... It, uh, it it when once you uh, knew the atomic details, uh, you were able to develop um, antibiotics. Um, there were there were a lot of antibiotics, natural antibiotics already available, but now one could uh, develop multiple antibiotics and very specifically targeted and so forth. Now I have to say that uh, along the way. As we improved resolution of the ribosome, then all of a sudden the X-ray structure became available. That was in the year 2000. 
and they were uh, so they were. we were sort of left behind because they reached atomic resolution before we reached it. Okay. Now there is an interesting relationship between uh, the structures that you get out of X-ray crystallography and the ones uh, that you get from single particle cryo EM. In crystallography, the molecules are sort of pressed into a crystal and they are they cannot wiggle around very much so they are in in a, in a lowest energy uh, <clears throat> a, a conformation and so this conformation that you get from extra crystallography is is not particularly lifelike mm -hmm. yeah. whereas yeah. The, when when you look at them individually uh, with cryo em they can still wiggle around and you can still account for all the different uh, shapes and, and forms that they attain uh, through their life cycle. What's temperature at which you're studying uh, molecules in a cryo-EM? Oh, this is the liquid nitrogen temperature. Okay. So uh, it's it's not like a crystalline um, uh, gitter, uh, gitter uh, like a mesh. It is, uh, like molecules are, are still kind of allowed to, to kind of like change conformation? Uh, no, it's it's really, <clears throat> a, the, the freezing is so fast that the molecule in whatever the state they are, they simply are solidified in, uh, in and then surrounded by a glassy-like Exactly, uh, like an amorphous, yeah, like it's an amorphous not, uh, it's matrix. Not, yeah, it's, a, it's an amorphous, amorphous um, form of water. Uh, or in a form form of ice, uh, I and, and I it's not it's not a crystal crystal form of ice. <clears throat> yeah. Um, by the way, uh, since we're talking about this, I'll ask you a question about cryopreservation. Uh, this is the technique to put people into liquid nitrogen to freeze people. Well, basically to uh, not freeze them, but to uh, vitrify them, um, and so with uh, the hope that we're going to be able to wake them up in 50 or 100 years and give them a chance to, to live longer. Have you looked into this? Uh, have you heard of this? Uh, are you interested in this? I've heard of it. I'm, I'm not particularly interested in, in it and I, I don't really know whether it's going to work. Well, you don't know now, right? But, but so this is a question because, because um, I'm not sure how much longer you might live, but but maybe maybe you would want to see the future. How exciting would it be to to wake up in 200 years and see the future? Doesn't that tempt you? Probably be very frightening if it really were uh, accomplished. You know? Yeah, I mean, you have a, you have a certain frame of mind, you have a certain culture, you have uh, you're embedded in something, and then all of a sudden you're in uh, in a in a world where you need. Uh, years of interpretation in order to even make sense of it. Probably, probably. Or we are, or maybe we are back in the dark ages and maybe humanity has not managed to progress, but we have stagnated. Um, yeah, who knows? Well, I, 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 I don't, I wouldn't say that. Okay, I, I'm, um, I'm not equipped to answer your question about the, about the frozen, frozen cadavers. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Okay, um, so here's a, a question about the Nobel. Has the Nobel Prize changed your attitude towards research and has it changed the way people uh, treat you? 
Well, um, I, I talk about the letter first. Uh, the um, I, you know, there's a, there's a noticeable um, gain in respect. Uh, you know, I open my mouth and people don't interrupt me, and uh, and so I can speak freely. Uh, and uh, and and for me, for me, I'm, I, it's always the handicap to to see expectations of people, uh, uh, to see that they're waiting for me, and and so I'm 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 always uh, worried about being interrupted. Okay, uh, it's always been like this, mm. and and now I can speak freely, and this may make an enormous difference uh, that I can articulate myself without without. Uh, being harassed all the time, and uh, <clears throat> there's there's also in groups, in groups there are always people who are pushing themselves forward, uh, and they're sort of the bullies, mm -hmm. and they they are it no matter no matter whether they have more uh, <clears throat> experience or insight, uh, they just they just take they take their shots. All the time, okay. Yeah, that's what they do. And yeah, uh, that's what they do. so, so this this kind of group dy dynamics, I um, I'm I, I I've observed very very much because I sort of considered myself the victim there, and so all of a sudden the group dynamics is completely different now. Uh, so it's a huge difference for me, yeah. uh, and it's it also dangerous yeah. because because people expect me to speak about things like you just before about things that that i have no experience about that i have no expertise for okay so so the other question was um the first one if the nobel prize has changed your attitude towards research are you doing your research differently well uh, it really uh, it really means that um um i don't i don't have to uh, be so keen on on you know achieving something uh i i can take risks mm -hmm. and and just uh, think about this more as as ex exploring exploring things even if they're high risk even even if i run into uh, big problems so it's not such an uh, such a big deal anymore <clears throat> and uh and i'm uh one one uh, thing that also happened is that I'm not, uh, I hardly will write review articles anymore because they are a pain. <laughs> they are, um, you know, review, you, you're bombarded with, with invitations uh, to write review articles and they're supposed to, you know, bring you some more, you know, recognition and glory and so forth. But, but it's, it's a very hard work. And uh, that, uh, obviously, it doesn't pay anything, uh, and uh, and so one has the feeling one is out of the rat race, right? Uh, I, you know, I. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's it. It must feel good, like the the part where people listen to you and don't interrupt you, and that uh, that you don't have to do the yeah the, the rat race part. What is intelligence? Is there such a thing as in, as intelligence? Or is it about just curiosity and stick to itiveness? Um, well, it's really um, intelligence. Intelligence uh, is really um, <clears throat> has been has been previously understood as some something absolute, 
uh, and some kind of a scale and IQ, but but it's but it's really specific. It's it's um, specific to social situations, to the environment in which you are. You can be intelligent yeah, in yeah. in uh, yeah, getting yeah. getting around in the woods, uh, uh, or you can be intelligent in the urban environment or in a particular skill. So so it's really. Um, you know, I think I think I think people have 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 different forms of intelligence, and and if uh, it, it it could well be that they are not being challenged in in their own specialty. Uh, some people are unfortunate that they are in an environment in which they cannot really bring out their kind of intelligence. Yeah, I, I agree definitely. And I think this world is particularly dangerous for for minds who can be captured by other stuff. You have the phone, you have uh, video games, and I think it's it's never easy. It's never been easier uh, than today to to just get uh, uh, buried in that stuff, um, and that kills intelligence or or whatever. Um, um, what what do you think about the nature versus nurture question? Um, talking about intelligence or in general. Um, all the stuff that we think as a combination of being nature and nurture, where do you put your line? Is it more nature or is it more nurture? It's uh, uh, it's much more nurture if you if you talk about uh, individual differences. Uh, the uh, the the nature the nature part is is for us as a species we have evolved. Uh, in with uh, to have these these kind of uh, the capability of such mental sophistication, but uh, but uh, it needs to be nurtured, uh, and it, it the very important um, part of the nurture is, is really the uh, the first few months, you know, the first few months where so. where all the so. uh, where 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 essentially all the networking grows. Uh, and and you know the first real network forms. Well, you could argue that the network continues to form um, until until you die, right? Uh, yeah, sure, but uh, <clears throat> but the challenges, the challenges uh, in which uh, you're confronted with intelligence is come come early, come early in life. You know, you 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 go into high school and college and so forth and they, they, all these questions come up you know is is he equipped is she equipped yeah yeah exactly if you had not acquired it when you were young it's probably too late by college to start to become to get some more nurture uh, yeah yeah it, it is really it is more of a, an uphill struggle if the if the initial uh, tracks are not laid so um, at this stage, I think I'd like to ask you the question about the smartest person person ever. Uh, it could be a person who has died or who is still living. It's it's a weird question, right? What's smart? You just described how it it depends on how you define it. But do you, th what what who's the deepest and broadest thinker you have ever known? Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh... Plato, maybe I, I really, I mean, uh, Saint Augustine. I, you know, you you have to go go through the entire range, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, there there are 
there are people there are people who are absolutely fabulous roger penrose uh there are there are people who who have this immense capacity to uh to look at at very complex uh structures and and uh they can you know do math in their brain and <clears throat> but uh you know they are very often very specialized and to talk about someone who who has uh such a universal yeah like like richard feynman who is not only good at, at at his specialty but he's also like all over the place yes yes he still still is uh, you know he 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 is you know he has philosophical thoughts but but he will not really bring bring in uh that much on on that but you're talking about some kind of a universal mind and they're, they're really hard to find nowadays oh yeah for sure uh, oh, yeah, for because sure. of the specialization of of, of uh, education and the specialization of the environment exactly um it's another question if it's a good thing or a bad thing it's out of our control we cannot do anything about it specialization happens because that's useful um so to say um but let's see where it gets us. I think uh, for technology, it's very important that we remain specialized. Um, what about uh, the weakest link in advancing research in your field today? Is this about a, a lack of brain power or is it more about money or rat tape? What's, what's the weakest link in, in, in advancing technology today? Well, money is a, is a very big factor um, because... Um, uh, there's really um, funding has been inadequate for for quite a while in the United States at least. I don't know really the situation in Europe, uh, but you know all these things are sort of going up and down all the time. There's there's also um, <clears throat> there there are also waves in in uh, there's sort of fads in 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 the way uh, science is funded. Uh, and uh, one of the fads was is for for instance high throughput high throughput. Now, if you do high throughput structural research, you just produce things and you don't know why you're doing it, uh, and, and it becomes some kind of a heap mm. of knowledge. Mm. And so, to me, hypothesis-driven research is is the way how it should be done. Another fad. Yeah, another fad is is um, uh, translational medicine. You know, uh, this is the idea you heard about that translational, translational medicine. medicine. Translational medicine. Yeah, what do you mean? Well, it, it, the 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 idea is is really that uh, there is a tight um, cooperation between uh, essentially hospital, clinic, uh, and and research. Okay, so one thing feeds the other in some kind of a direct feedback matter. And it's a, it's a preposterous idea, you know, because <clears throat> the, 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 usual, the usual development is, is that you have, you have basic research and then you have sort of um, that feeds the general literature and then people pick it up and then draw conclusions and inferences and so on. And it builds up and then maybe 10 years afterwards, exactly. it really exactly. uh, manifests itself in, in some kind of a medical advance. And, and instead, instead, funding 
for a for very long stretch of time, it's still going on, went into uh, fostering these immediate handshaking associations, you know, between, you know, the bed and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> so even now, now there is the concept of, of uh, <clears throat> personalized medicine. Uh, there, it makes a lot of sense to to have uh, a direct feedback to, to to find find out what what a what a person needs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One can, however, even that uh, is based on years and years of basic research. Okay, this this didn't didn't come from 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 nowhere. <clears throat> So basically, you're saying that uh, a big limiting factor is 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 in this case red tape because uh, the 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 administrative system is is basically tying the hands of the researchers and the researchers are kind of pushed to produce immediate um, returns like money generating uh, discoveries and they're they're not they're not capable of doing that because it it doesn't work so so they have to essentially rationalize what they're doing. Uh, they have to sort of make up, make up grant proposals that conform with these kinds of uh, desired yeah. uh, interactions, yeah. and you know and, you, you see this everywhere. Uh, yeah. And and so so yeah. my point is my point is uh, that it's not just just not, not just lack of money, it is it it, it is it is uh, also a a. The, the wrong kind of emphasis, the wrong kind of uh, <clears throat> uh, incentives. Yeah, it's the incentive of uh, big old cash. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of sad that cash plays such a big role in fundamental research these days. Uh, do you have any info on whether it's, it's better or worse in Germany versus uh, the US? It's probably the same, right? I really, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it's very complicated in Germany because there's this European funding, and I don't know to what extent that has an, a very big role. Mm. Uh, there are sort of different levels of funding, so I, I'm, I really lost track of this. I'd like to talk to you about existential threats. Um, I'd like this world to continue on developing new cures and 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 being a happy world for another million years but i think there are some existential level risks that could end this human project do you fear that some something could go very wrong and kind of terminate the our civilization yes yes uh, what's well, your top candidate the top three candidates for such a such a scenario well the global warming is is a good candidate i you know it's uh it's, it's almost the only one that i fear uh obviously we can also uh <clears throat> deplete the resources even even if we are in a in a regular climate we can deplete the resources by simply overpopulating um and and then in the end we wind up with uh, uh with incredible levels of calamity you know we wind up in wars and so forth. So I, I really find it interesting that, that you're talking about global warming and, and overpopulation. 
those to me are no, not civilization level threats. In fact, I think it's 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 a non-threat. Those are both like a very slow processes and um and they're gonna find some natural equilibrium to my mind um when i think about threats i usually think along the lines of a nuclear war or an ai oh, yeah. uh, explosion a singularity or uh, like a pandemic what do you think about those yeah sure yeah okay uh nuclear nuclear war uh <clears throat> nuclear war Obviously, we have been uh, living under that threat and uh, seeing uh, the instab instability of a person like Trump uh, makes me make me really worried that it that it c can happen yeah. at one time. Uh, and uh, maybe maybe because he has an extended family, that is the only thing that that saved us here. Uh, the uh, the other one is. Um, the uh, the pandemics, uh, you know, as an as an as a threat to civilization, I I I don't I don't see it as a threat to civilization. I don't see it as a threat to survival of the, of the human species. Wow, uh, it's, it's interesting, right? Because because you know these very small molecules so well, and and they could be engineered. Like these days, it costs a hundred dollars to edit um, genes uh, by the letter. Uh, don't, don't you worry that that this could be so easy and so accessible that somebody could like cook up the next virus? No, uh, I'm 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 not worried about viruses because um, because of the. Uh, of the selection process that that takes place, uh, they they are always survivors, and these survivors then, you know, essentially create a new species, uh, and so so there will always be people people left. Uh, this this has always been the case, and so so I'm I mean obviously civilizations get get destroyed uh, in in the process. However, it, it's not it's not that the human species. Uh, cannot uh, cannot uh, survive. Yeah, the same thing as with uh, maybe overpopulation or climate change. I don't think that it would like um, finish our you know our project. It just you know would, would create a big major hurdle. But but uh, I think we would definitely survive that one too. Uh, what about artificial intelligence and and super intelligence? Um, <clears throat> well, I'm I'm. Uh... Essentially, you know, I'm I'm very worried about this, uh, <clears throat> and uh, and there are you know the two aspects of uh, of this is is that that uh, intelligence could be um, could could actually be come to, uh, could could come to a level where. It becomes a, a a threat, you know. I mean, it's like in the scientific uh, sci-fi movies, this, this kind of threat, um, and uh, which I never took serious. But but now, now you have even self-replicating apparatuses. You know, they have been uh, machined as a, as a demo. You know that it can be done, uh, and um, but but then the other threat is really. The way we become accustomed to it, and the way uh, it it really uh, 
makes profound changes to, to our culture. Um, and then uh, the, the other one is, is really the, the use of AI uh, in, in governments, uh, like in China, uh, <clears throat> where you have, yeah. you have um, a universal, uh, as a universal tool, uh, you have face yeah, recognition. Face recognition. You have, yeah. Yes, <clears throat> and um, you have essentially AI data mining of of uh, the entire social. I mean, the entire social fabric. Exactly, and and, and the question is, yeah, and and what what is the Chinese Communist Party gonna? optimize its function for like what what is the ai gonna optimize for it's probably gonna optimize not not for the well-being of uh the the people but probably for the survival of the communist party which i think are pretty orthogonal uh, concepts yeah um, but but they have a certain uh, you know the communist party or the the leadership uh, has a certain concept of what what the well-being of, of people is and that's that's what they optimize it for, and that's you know. Unfortunately. But but uh, unfortunately, yeah yeah. Uh, so it's um, well, one can talk about the ages about this. It's <laughs> well, feel feel free. I have a lot of questions that I can I can uh, throw out. So for example, um, consciousness. You have looked at single atoms. Like there's no atom that you could not see today, in, in principle, if if you looked hard. Which means that we could, if we try hard, we could basically map the entire human brain, the entire human body, uh, to the atom. Do you think that consciousness is something undiscoverable? Is it something ethereal that we cannot understand? Is there like some some limit to to how much we can understand, or can we understand consciousness? Uh, well, it's it's very hard to uh, it's very hard to understand how cons uh, consciousness uh, is constituted. One um, can see how all the functionality uh, can can be generated by neural networks and so forth, but one cannot understand where 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 the inside the inside. Uh, view comes from you know the awareness where where does the awareness come from <clears throat> uh, it so, so I'm, it's unknowable no no I, 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 I'm not an expert in this I, I wouldn't I wouldn't simply say it's unknowable it, it's simply for me hard to conceive uh, how how one get a can get a, a clue of this okay um I, I am of the camp uh, who supports the idea that consciousness is knowable. I think consciousness is probably something very simple in a way. Um, and when we discover what it is, which is going to be like this and this and this part of your brain, then we're going to be like, okay, um, so I, I don't see anything special about consciousness apart from the fact that this is my reality. Well, I, I, you know, I... Maybe you have an you have some some insights that, that I don't have. I, I I don't have any insights. I'm just a pure materialist, and and so are you a pure materialist? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, I'm, but but I'm I'm only I'm only saying that um, I it's 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 hard for me to figure out uh, whether we 
our our intellect is sufficient to get behind it to get the, to these explanations. That's another thing. Uh, That's another thing. I, it, I'm not saying it's unknowable. Uh, I, I would only say it's unknowable uh, with these kinds of restrictions, knowing our our own limitations. Now, I I know somebody very well who 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 is pondering these questions. His name is Wolf Singer, and you might have heard about him in Germany. Uh, he is a good friend of mine. Okay, so he... he... I, I should talk to him, probably. Um, so, okay, so, just one thing more about consciousness. So, um, sorry, materialism. If you are a materialist, you, you said you, you consider yourself a materialist. Uh, do you think uh, that there is such a thing as God? No. Okay, what about this next one? Uh, is is it possible that when we discover something like the great unified theory or quantum gravity, some really profound uh, equation about our, our universe, um, do you think that could reveal something about the, 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 the interface on which this is running? Because to me, it's pretty clear that the universe is so mathematical that it's 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 a processing. It's it almost feels like a, a program running on a computer. Uh, and I'm, I would like to know if you feel the same. Uh, but I also would like to ask if you think that if we figure out how exactly that program works, our reality, like, could it give us an insight to something like God? Um, I you know I mean God is 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 just a, a label. Uh, exactly. And uh, exactly. and it's, it's a label for some for for the unexplainable, and then you know I mean you know people are sort of clueless in 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 many uh, things and and there's some kind of a concept that is applied, uh, and he's imbued imbued with with certain qualities and so forth and so so you know you could <clears throat> uh, the, the the this entire specter that uh, that you see when you get these insights as a physicist uh, of the biolo biology in the in the tiniest details uh, then you you wonder you know how 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 could it all happen how could it all come and emergence yeah people yeah people point at evolution but you know how how come that uh, we have laws uh, in the universe that allow this to happen. And so you can always ponder like this and you say, you know, that this entire uh, insight, this, this uh, <clears throat> uh, awe experience is, is somehow, you know, you say that's God, okay? That's, uh, there's uh, that's something behind I, it. Yeah, define God. I mean, God is this guy who's running our big reality program. This is how I think of God. It's, is the programmer who has clicked start on the universe. Yeah, I mean, you have right at the beginning the Big Bang, and then there's this plasma, and then all of a sudden you have the differentiation, and then you get you get some elements, you know, the formation of these elements, and all these elements are uh, then on the way to become building blocks of, of life. Yeah, it's, it's uh, really beautiful. Uh, we we are all uh, remnants of a long gone supernovae, right? 
Um, yeah. Speaking of which, um, what do you think about space exploration? I'm a big fan of space exploration, and I have worked uh, to develop ways to um, reduce Martian soils into oxygen and uh, metals to to, to, oh, yes. to settle these planets and use uh, materials that we can find there. Do you think space exploration is a good endeavor? I I don't know. It it, it seems it seems like if we if we run if you run down this planet in the, the way we've been used to, then it might be a good escape. But I, I find it, I find it as a concept, just, just very dismal. I mean, I, I find it dreary <laughs> to, to go into uh, places that are so incredibly hostile, uh, and uh, you know. I mean, I, I guess I, I admire people who 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 put their life in, into it, but uh, I there's there's nothing else um, that I, I I really like that there is a country over there over the pond, the U.S., and I think the kind of people who want to go to Mars today are the kind of people who wanted to go to the U.S. Uh, 400 years ago. And, and I think it was a really good idea that they colonized the very hostile, very, very unhabitable um, um, yeah, U.S. soil. And, um, and, uh, well, it, it, it's all within, uh, within this planet. Uh, but, but it was incredibly so, hard to do back then. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, it, it's, it's not a... <laughs> I mean, it's a comparison of scales that that are incredible. You know, the, the scale is is completely different. Mm. You know, you're scaling it up uh, in such a way. You know, we, we're talking about millions of dollars, uh, billions, <coughs> billions, yeah. billions, if not trillions. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very um, actually I did some uh, run some numbers on this and um, actually it would be able to be possible to uh, colonize Mars on something like 5% of um, the US budget um, and and obviously the US is spending something like 20% of its budget on war and so what's better war or colonizing but you know that's let's put the subject um, behind I'm, I'm, I'm a big big evangelist for space exploration um, could we do the German questions now? I'd like to talk some German with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's your secret efficiency booster? Is it diet or psychoactives or exercise? Like, do you have like a way to, to ensure that you function at hundred percent efficiency in your brain? Your brain? I'm not a hundred percent anymore. Uh, so it's, it's reduced and I have coffee and, and, um, what really keeps me going is uh, the ability to switch between completely different activities. And one of them is writing, fiction writing. You know, I'm writing fiction. I was fiction. going to ask about that. Could, could you tell me about that? Uh, why do you write and since when? Well, that's oh, yeah, for, for ages. I already did uh, some in, in German. But then when I came to, uh, to the United States, um, I started uh, writing in English and I got a lot of... Um, encouragement. Uh, I, I went into writing writing workshops with um, uh, some of the teachers uh, are really uh, renowned writers. And uh, so I got I got a lot of encouragement from them. And then I started writing short stories, poems. Uh, uh, I, I just published a, a novel, uh, which is in my signature there. Uh, it's called Ansee. Okay. 
And I'm, I have uh, four other novels that are unpublished, that are sort of on the, on the back burner. So I'm writing constantly, and it's really very inspiring to me to create worlds. Uh, I, I love to do that too. I, I like to write, and I also like different types of writing. It's just a creative exploration. Um, a role model. Do you have a role model today, or did you have a role model before? I, I didn't. I always looked up at, at Nobel laureates. I thought that this was an unbelievable, unbelievable achievement somewhere, and uh, I didn't know how they got there. Now you know. And so, yeah, yeah, right, uh, through, through hard work. But uh, no, there, there was no particular role model. I, I can't. Yeah. No yeah. one person. Um, one never. Person. Okay, I have to rush off. I was called to dinner. Oh, right. so, so, so for for right. so long. All right. So um, okay. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye.